In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. It's Monday. It's a beautiful day. The birds are singing. I hope the sun is shining wherever you are. We've got a great show with an incredible guest, Denise Rue. She's the founder of the New Jersey Psychedelic Therapy Association, trauma-focused therapist, clinical hypnotherapist, fluent trainer, psychedelic integration coach, clinical supervisor, and writer. And she has an incredible background in so much that we're going to hopefully get into today, whether it's hypnotherapy or poetry Denise, I'm so excited you're here today. How are you feeling today? Oh, I'm feeling great. It's a beautiful day here, too, as well. Yeah, we are on complete opposite sides, it seems like, of the world. What an amazing technology we have where we can <laughs> we can get together and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So I am fascinated by this space that seems to be emerging. There's so much potential for health and help, but... I think we've both read this recent article by Jules Evans that spoke about facilitators having some issues here and there. But before we jump into all of that, I was hopeful that maybe you could paint a little bit of a background for people to understand who you are. Yeah, well, um, so I'm a therapist and a hypnotherapist. That's a big part of my life. Um, it, I am probably therapist was my fourth career. Um, prior to that, I was in clinical hypnosis. And before that, I was doing um, teaching poetry. Um, and prior to that, I was a speech language pathologist. So I've really been fortunate. I've been able to follow a lot of my passions. So in terms of the psychedelic world, I came to psychedelics very late in life. It just wasn't even in my, my universe. Um, so I was working at a community mental health agency um, and my caseload was complex trauma, um, mostly adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse because that's just where the need was at this particular agency. And I loved working with this population. I did individual therapy as well as groups. But, you know, these, these women primarily were really suffering. And about that time, I started reading the literature coming out of Johns Hopkins, Imperial College, NYU, and something just clicked. And I said, this is the future. This is going to alleviate so much suffering. Um, but I had never done psilocybin myself. So I booked, um, I booked a 10-day retreat at uh, a legal psilocybin center in Jamaica. And I went. I was, yeah, I just turned 59. And over the course of those 10 days, I did four psilocybin trips and they were completely transformational. 
a lot of my own personal healing. And what the retreat leader picked up on was that I was absorbing the energies from the other members of the group. And he said, I think you can do this work. And he kind of showed me how to work with people in that space. Um, and they invited me back as a facilitator. So I moved to Jamaica full time in September of 2019. Put my house, uh, you know, I rented my house and packed up all my belongings and quit my nice secure job. So it was very scary, but it, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. It it's yeah. it's interesting how when we're when I heard a great quote, I think it was something along the lines of, and the day came mm -hmm. when the bud what when being in the shape of the bud was much more painful than becoming the flower that blossoms. I totally butchered it, but it was something along <laughs> those lines. No, I, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have never regretted that decision, even though it was it was challenging at times, for sure. Yeah, you know, maybe if we take it back a little bit, I am fascinated by language. And it seems to me the words we use are that which describe us. They describe our environment, both internal and external. And for someone like yourself who has this rich background and Maybe we can start off with with poetry. Like, doesn't it seem that poetry is like this pure form of communication? When you speak to me using the proper forms and the right ways in which and the diacopy and like all these literary devices, I can get goosebumps or my face will flush. You know, it just seems like it's a more raw form of communication. What what do you think about language and poetry? Oh, absolutely. It taps into something deep within us. And and it's interesting that when there are uh, occasions that move us, that, are, that so much that ordinary language no longer applies um, at the birth of a child, the death of a loved one. I'm also thinking of 9-11, how people turn to poetry to express uh, deeper feelings. And that's why poetry and psychedelics go hand in hand. Um, and I found using poetry to, to bring people into a con contemplative mood, to allow them to look inward, look beneath the meaning of things. And people are hungry for that. Um, I, I found that working the retreat, you know, you'd get people who were, who seemed very left brain and analytical. And I think, oh, if I read a poem be, before the dose, uh, it might not go off well, but, but honestly, everyone's just hungry for that kind of meaning and words and experiences and, and artwork and being in nature, things that, that move us and resonate deeply. We don't have enough of that in our society. Yeah, it seems like, it almost seems like there is this relationship between spirituality and poetic language or metaphor. And in the West, it seems mm -hmm. we've just been devoid of that. Like we have this, like you said, this left brain analytical scalpel that's constantly trying to cut out all of the things that it can't measure. And when you do that, you're just left with, with so little. Yep. It's very dry. And, and, and <laughs> yep, this is it. This is all that meets the eyes. Yeah. It's not working for us. Not at all. Not at all. And it seems to be a symptom of the sickness that plagues us. If you look at PTSD or if you look at, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury, or even the modern medical model of, of medicine, like SSRIs or addiction. It's, hey, we can't measure that. Let's, let's just not even put it in the model. Let's not even talk about anything subjective because I, I can't measure that and I can't put it into a profit model so it doesn't go into this formula right here. Mm -hmm. It's really kind of sad to think about. Well, it is, and it's not working. Yes. That, that's clear. That's clear. 
Um, but just back to poetry, even before psychedelics came into my realm of existence, I was always drawn to the mystical poets mm. like Rumi and Blake. And I was always uh, attracted to the, the mystical saints, you know, to St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross. So these are things that were swirling around in my consciousness long before I came to psilocybin. And you're a published poet, people should know. They can they can look and read. You've written tons of poems and had them published in lots of places. How does that feel? It must be pretty awesome. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a, it's a big part of my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it speaks volumes of why you're why you're able to reinvent yourself, why you're able to be good with people, and why you're so passionate about helping is is the language we use, which kind of moves us into this idea of hypnosis. What like what is hypnosis a meditation? Is it a higher state of consciousness? Is it a re relationship between both? Like what do you what is hypnosis? Hypnosis is a naturally occurring altered state of consciousness and we're in a trance we're in hypnosis about one third of our day now children are in trance uh and and we call it daydreaming right so it's, it's it has a pleasant affect to them as adults we, we too often fall into this negative trance mm a trance of the future, which usually shows up as anxiety and worst case scenario, or a trance of the past, which is uh, chewing on every bad thing that ever happened to us, what someone said at the supermarket. And we're, we're, so we're so rarely in our present moment, right? We're in the future, we're in the past, and we have power in neither of those places. So hypnosis is um, like in a, a therapy, therapeutic hypnosis, you know, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. You're just teaching the client to utilize their natural born tendency to drop into an altered state of consciousness and in where the brain waves, you know, slow down. And that's where we can access uh, the contents of our unconscious mind. And that's where the goodies are. You know, we, we tend to be afraid of our unconscious mind, right? Where the boogeyman is. And we like to think that we're captains of our ship. But anyone who's ever fallen into road rage um, should own that nah, maybe we're not so in, con in control as we, as we think. So when I came to hypnosis, it was incredibly empowering for me. It just unlocked this notion that, ooh, I could use my thoughts for healing rather than harm. And we all have this capability. And it was so profound in my own healing that I just said, oh, I have to learn how to do this. And, and so I did. I went to school for it. And, and, and I um, started my own business. And it, it was really, really meaningful. Um, and I started to work with people who are suffering from chronic pain, maybe in conjunction with, with cancer. And um, my brother got cancer. And when he was in his last months, I was able to help him with his pain through hypnosis. And that felt so, so meaningful to me. So when he passed away, um, that was when I said, oh, I, I, I can do this. Let me turn my grief into something positive. And then I started to work more actively um, with, with people with cancer. 
I worked um, at Gilda's Club. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I, I, I don't think it's called Gilda's Club anymore, but that was after Gilda Radner oh, yeah. from Saturday Night Live, who, who died of ovarian cancer, I believe. Um, but I started to work with cancer survivors at Gilda's Club. And, um, and then I started to work in hospice as a volunteer. Um, and using hypnosis as a means to provide healing, uh, physical, mental, and spiritual. So that those were great um, tools for me to, to bring later to the psychedelic space. That, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your brother, but I'm thankful to hear about all the people that that relationship allowed you to to help and mm -hmm. if, if if we just talk about hospice for a minute like it seems that it can be very rewarding to help people but it also seems like it could be very taxing to be in that situation all the time to be surrounded by people in their last few days or maybe mm -hmm. a grieving family did you find it to be taxing as well as helpful um i would say it was as difficult as it was rewarding mm, well said. you know i you know nothing concentrates a person as the hangman's noose that mm. that's i believe that's dostoevsky yeah <laughs> but when you're facing your own demise you're all the all the window dressing goes away right you're right. you're in it it's in intensity and that appeals to me. And because I was able to do it with my brother, I knew I would be able to sit with other people. Um, it's, it's not for everyone. Um, it's not depressing. It's, but, it, but it, it's just real. And you can either do it or you can't. There's a certain kind of person who can sit in that space. But it's just the other, the other phase of, of midwifing, mm -hmm. right? Very, you can right. midwife a baby into this world and you can midwife someone out of this world. And... I just was able to hold that space, probably because I'd, I'd gone through it with my brother. Um, and poetry was so helpful mm. for me and my own spiritual work and being able to stay grounded uh, and to remain kind of afloat in these very uh, choppy waters um, where, where you're dealing with very uh, possibly distressing emotions from, from both the individual who's dying and family members. So, you know, how can you create, how, how can you remain buoyant in those waters and provide something for th these people to hold to hold on to. It 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 just it just was right for me. I never planned it, but I was able to do it, and I'm so grateful for those years that I did that work. And that's why I moved into social work because I, I thought I was going to become a hospice social worker. And, and that was my first internship, but it, it just, just didn't work out that way. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. I was speaking with a, a, a friend of mine a while back, and she, her mentor was a death doula. And she had, she, she had mentioned that it's interesting to see that the look of ecstasy is eerily mm -hmm. similar to the look of agony. Mm -hmm. And when you sit with someone... I'm paraphrasing here, but when you sit with someone, she spoke at times of being and holding their hand and, and being able to see on some 
people the unrealized dreams of their life and it, it mm -hmm. reminds me of what you said of you know the in the end of times the window dressings fall away and then there's only you maybe could you speak to that a little bit well the dying aren't talking about you know going to costco or <laughs> you know getting a tesla um right. so that's where life becomes interesting for me when when people are authentic right. and right. talking about matters uh that feel meaningful to me and those values aren't often the values that are are held up in our society right right achievements um what 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 we own how many likes we have on well i age myself right facebook or whatever TikTok or twitter or whatever right you know, whatever we're looking for to kind of give us that little dopamine height yep. you know um i've just been with so many people who died too young and when you're on that deathbed, you're, you're really not thinking about uh, what accolades you got, what kind of car you drive. Um, you, you're really thinking about what kind of relationships you created, what's the mark you left on the world. And, and I've always thought about that my entire life i mean my parents did instill that in me you know to whom much is given much is expected so it's always been really important for me to do meaningful work um so you know you, you meet you meet people doing meaningful inner work at the end of life and in the, in the therapeutic room, right? Yeah. Um, and certainly in the psychedelic space. I mean, that's where it gets down and dirty. And that's where I like to be. <laughs> ah, that's my kind of girl. I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. It's so raw in that format. You know, yeah. and, and it seems to me that there's a certain sort of attraction between somebody who has made it through a really big tragedy and someone who may be going through a similar type of tragedy. Have you found that to be? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I don't think that I could have done any of that work early right. in my career. Um, it was just as I got older older and more resilient. And I had done a lot of my own inner work, not through psychedelics, but through other means of healing. Um, and then having to survive some fairly significant losses in my own life. Um, I just always believed, well, how can I turn this poison into medicine? Medicine for myself, medicine for my uh, for others. And it did really come together in a beautiful, meaningful way um, when I, I worked with groups in, in the psychedelic space, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I see this Ariadne thread that you're weaving through mm -hmm. some of your stories. And one of it is this idea of turning poison into medicine. And prior to that, it was the idea of taking this tragedy and finding something grateful in it. Was that something your parents instilled in you or well, where does that come from? Hmm. Well, we certainly were always taught as <laughs> to, to count our blessings. Yeah. I mean, my parents grew up in the depression and, and struggled. So one of the things that my father would always say is, you know, count your good fortune, count your good fortune. So, I, I did learn, okay, let, let's shine your light over here. Right. Um, but, but then I also had this 
upbringing. My mother was from Ireland, heavy Catholic influence, which was something that did sustain me, but it's also something aspect of that I had to overcome sure. um, in, in my work. But I think that resilience, uh, I saw it without a doubt in my parents. And I think especially on the female side, right. I have a lot of really strong women from both lineages. Yeah. And, 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 and I, and I've called on that strength at the, at times in my life. And again, the, the poetry has been such a source mm -hmm. of, of wisdom and comfort for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I'm really thankful. Thanks for sharing that. It's so fascinating to me to get to hear people talk about the very foundations on which they built their framework because I, I think it speaks volumes of your ability to help people so many people are lacking that that idea of resilience or maybe they just need to re-remember it maybe they've had it and they've lost it because of a heartbreak or a tragedy or a lost one mm -hmm. but do you think that that's a symptom of some of the broken people in our society is this this absence of resilience well look at how the medical model mm, yeah. treats our suffering, normal human suffering. Okay. okay. We, right? If we are human, we're, we are going to suffer. That's not all that's going to happen. <laughs> but, but yeah, there will be periods of suffering. Right? That's just a given. But, um, you know, Western medicine, we, we put every natural uh, bit of life into the DSM mm. so we can medicate, medicate right. it, so we can pathologize it, okay? So I do think that promotes um, a, a population that feels disempowered um, and they're encouraged not to invite their suffering in, but to keep it at arm's length to, like I said, pop a pill for it mm -hmm. and not use it as an invitation of entering in more deeply to heal more deeply, right? And, and that's why I think psychedelics are such a paradigm shift yeah. because they do promote acceptance of one's suffering, if you will, and, and resilience. Because, boy, if you can get through some of those challenging psychedelic trips, everything else is just chump change, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we've become a society that's very, um, just doesn't, you know, we're always triggered. We, we can't be, we, we can't be poked, right? We, so I, I think that's un unfortunate. And we're, we can't walk through life bubble wrapped, you know? <laughs> life's going to happen. And if you bubble wrap yourself against the difficult stuff, then the good, juicy, life-affirming stuff is not going to come through. Right? Yeah. It, it, it's desensitizing the, the sense of touch. Like, you know, it, mm -hmm. it may feel be, it may, it may get hurt to have someone touch you, but the passion and the love and the caressing and the caring and the deep hearted movement of someone that really touches you is, man, it gives me goosebumps to think about. It's the, it's the language and poetry. It's the, the smile of a warm stranger. But if you do bubble wrap yourself, if you find yourself looking through the catalog that is the DSM and picking something out, now you've got this cool thing that you could put in a box and you can share with people, but it's off limits. And you never integrate it into yourself. And in doing so, you probably get rid of one of your most unique things about you. Like just the language we use for disease and stigma. Like it's just so, it's sad to me. And 
I, I do agree. I think that the world of psychedelics is changing that. And I'm hopeful that we'll continue to do it. Are, are you, it's really unfolding really fast. And in this world of psychedelics, there seems to be an explosion of people that want to help. And that's a really good thing. But as you and I were, were talking previously about this new article that came out, there does seem to be a lot of, it, it's messy. I'll say it this way. It's very messy in some ways. Are you hopeful that, is that just a symptom of what's happening because it's so fast or should we be a little bit worried about the mess that's, that people are making? Well, I don't think we should be worried about it, but I think <laughs> we should um, be observant, I like that. be realistic, right, and tweak our approach um, so we can move along in a, in a more optimal fashion. Um, we are moving quickly. I think that that is a symptom that we have this vacuum to be filled, right? right? There's just, we're, if you haven't noticed, we're in kind of a predicament. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, people are suffering. Oops. People are suffering. Yeah. And uh, the world is suffering. The, you know, the globe is is in great distress. So we need something. And and yeah, that's why I think we're, we're grasping. Um, anything is going to be messy if humans are involved. Yeah. I'm not being cynical, but, you know, what we'd love to, to maintain an ideal, but we're all fallible. Um, I'm, I'm very hopeful, but we have to be really honest about where we're uh, not stepping up to the plate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, whenever I think about this particular topic, I'm reminded of our, our good friend Aldous Huxley and all his mm -hmm. literature that he wrote. And on one hand, you have Brave New World, where they use Soma as a disassociate for people to go about their days and use this particular substance to, you know, just escape for a little bit. And then you have the island where they use this moksha mm -hmm. medicine and they can have ceremony and they have rites of passage. And it's interesting if you if you just pan back maybe and, and look at the world that's moving forward, I can see kind of both camps there. Can you see both camps happen in there? The dystopia and the... <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> and the idealized... Um, that's it, yep. Well, we probably have to fall somewhere in the middle. Agreed. Um, it's going to take a lot of tweaking because I think we need to be shaken up in, our, in the Western world. Even the way we approach these these medicines, these sacred substances, right? Okay. It's a very, um, it can be a very uh, inter tra transactional experience. Mm. What can this substance do for me? Rather than how can we work together to promote healing, both internally, externally, right? There's no power differential here. Um, you know, humans, we have this hierarchy yeah. in the West that, that, you know, everything else is below us. And that certainly includes plant medicines. So how can we use you for, for healing. Um, so it's going to take a, a real sea change to use these medicines respectfully. And I, and I, and I see a, a tremendous amount of good work happening yeah. all over in the, in the research space, in, in education, in, in the retreat space. Um, but I am concerned about when we are bringing the capitalist model, which we need 
but can it be tempered with some humanity? Yeah, I first off, thank you for that. That's the first time I think I have heard someone explain it the way in the as soon as you said, it seems that the message is what can this do for me? As soon as you said that, I went, yes, that does seem to be like a big part of the message that's out there right now. And maybe not the message from everybody. There's tons of really amazing people that are doing great work. But mm-hmm. it seems on the peri- like on the on the front page, it seems you're seeing headlines like, you know, psilocybin cures PTSD. Like, and, it, and that does give the idea of what this message or what this medicine does for you. But I like what you said about having a relationship and having no real you know, having a, an equalized sort of eye-to-eye look at it. That, that does seem like a great first step in actualizing what's actually happening because it seems to me that the real therapy is the person working with the medicine to solve their own problems and become more of a whole, more of a holistic approach instead of a, a layered, you know, capitalist top-down, this works for me, I'm the boss of this. <laughs> well, yeah. Good luck to you if you're in the, in the five gram psilocybin session. Totally. And you're exactly. like, you're just like, well, you're, I'm the boss of you. Mm, that's not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it, yeah, it's interesting because sometimes on the retreat where I worked, we, we, we'd get, uh, and in one particular group, perhaps there would be people who just who are very much like, well, I want my mystical experience and I came to have my default mode network reset. And, you know, I want this. And I, I just said, well, you may get that. Um, but this isn't, you know, the, the psilocybin vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, what have you what have you done to prepare the soil mm. for for these experiences? And then once you have them, how will you bring them into your everyday life? Not only to promote your well-being, but the well-being of your loved ones, the well-being of, of your 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 community to the world at large, right? That's a piece that's equally important because once we do this work, we are responsible for it. And that's sometimes we can be called to, you know, make changes in our life that are, that are quite challenging. Um, that, that's been one of the big messages to me from the mushroom is, uh, you know, step up to the plate, uh, because the world needs people who are doing this work, not just for their own, uh, to feed their own egos, or to have a really cool story to trot out at the next cocktail party. Um, But what are you gonna do Mm. with this once you've had it? There's um, a a deep responsibility there that those of us who are called to do this work we, we feel profoundly, I mean, I certainly do. Um, and, and some of the ways that psychedelics are being marketed, some of the hype um, is forgetting that you're, you have responsibility here. This is, there's no casual encounter with a psychedelic. In, in, in my in my book it must be entered into with purpose and and with awe there's some there is some real 
there's some real noticeability or maybe I'll say awareness of the self when you begin to interact with with entheogens or psychedelics and I really like the way you said when people are called to it because you can become the best version of yourself and you can do it you can I think you can fast track it if you begin to have a healthy relationship or some people can with psychedelics but it for me what I've noticed is that it helps present me with a case for courage to do the mm -hmm. right thing instead of doing things right in fact doing things right when someone tells you hey just do just do what i told you to do like all of a sudden like what i have noticed with my relationship is that it's fundamentally changed the way i respond to language and it makes me want to first off respond to the le the voice inside the language that i have it's like hey george you make it maybe you can make a lot of money here but it feels like you're dying inside man you know and then all of that voice keeps getting louder and then I would do some work with the medicine and it, it just gets to a point where like, okay, this is really frightening for me. I'm going to walk away from all of this. What about my fam? What about this? What? And then all these what ifs come into play. Yeah. But if you can, if you continue to look inside yourself, all of a sudden you, you find that higher self, that, that voice. It's like, it now is the time. What else do you want me to say? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And that capital S self. Yes. Thank you. Well done. Yeah. That we, we always have in us. Yes. Right. Yep. Um, I think James Hillman, the Jungian mm. analyst calls it our acorn self. This is the part that's, that's within us. Right. And we're, we're born with it. That, that divine spark, if you will. Yeah. Right. That's unique to us. And if we're lucky, we have caregivers who see our acorn self and, and they, they foster it. And maybe you're lucky and you're in a school that fosters it and you're in a society that fosters it. But, but very often we have to start putting on masks to function in the world and we lose that voice. Right, that is always yes. there, and 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 so psilocybin and other psychedelics can bring us back to that voice, that core self, and that core self doesn't necessarily care about your physical or financial comfort. Right, right. Yep. So it may require you to make changes. That are not so comfortable. Yep. <laughs> right? Yeah. And what I would like to see is that we 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 set up more structures, more systems in our society uh, for people who are going through this work, right? So there can be a container where these changes can be maintained and fostered, right? We need our yeah. tribe. And so many times uh, people do this work and yet they go right back into their, their, their old circumstances and that, that ember just dies out. So we need to provide you know, as I said, systems that will help people maintain their benefits. And it can be challenging in our society. Yeah, that is really well said. It's what would one of those systems look like? Huh. <laughs> I guess like Aldous Huxley's Island. <laughs> maybe, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it would look like the world we live in today, emerging. Yeah. Well, we can set up little islands, right? We can, we can know ourselves and listen to that inner voice and set up these, like, way stations, you know, in nature, in our own spiritual practices, and in community. 
So it's going to look different for for every for every person. Um, I mean, I know what I I've tried to create, um, and it's it it is in in nature, in community with my tribe. I mean, through that the New Jersey's uh, psychedelic therapy associates. The association, I'm trying to create a community, a community of support for therapists who are doing this work and, and to educate the public and, and, and providers to do this work. So that's kind of extending the tribe. Yeah. Um, it's just going to look different, differently for everyone. I love... Thank you for doing that. I think it's a beautiful thing. And in some ways, if I think about it for a moment, I love the way you describe the person getting in contact with their capital S self as beginning mm -hmm. to have the, the ember burn inside them. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me of the rites of passage or the people that would keep the fire. And it seems yeah. to me that people that are that go through this transformation and maybe you, maybe you're feeling it, maybe you're being called to it now, or maybe you've gotten the spark and it's beginning to glow. But at that point in time, I would welcome people to start seeing themselves as someone who is keeping the fire. And those lo mm. the longer you keep that fire alive, the more opportunity you have to inspire the flame in somebody else. And mm. if you begin to think about it like that, it helps your own ember grow brighter. And then you can find your tribe because then you can see that spark in other people or people see it in you. And when yours is about to die, this person that you may have ran into six months ago comes by and it's like, hey, thank you. And then all of a sudden it, it, it blows back up together, you know, and mm -hmm. I often think of uh, Alan Watts has a, was it Alan Watts? Maybe it wasn't Alan Watts. Maybe it was, I forgot where I heard the quote, but it was something along the lines of the flame that kindles many candles is the same flame in all the candles, you know? And so we are finding mm -hmm. our tribe in that way, but that's, it's really well said. I, I, it must be because you have such a beautiful background in poetry and hypnosis <laughs> that you have all this insight. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but sometimes it fail, fails me. Sure. And that's when I do need the warmth of, of another fire. Yeah. Right. And, and that's where the blessing of, of family and coworkers and and friends resides because we can't do it alone. <laughs> and that's that's one thing that I learned living in another country, you know, without my peeps, even though I was doing really, really meaningful work and I, I did have, you know, great relationships and I, I met so many new people all over the world with, with the clients, but, but I did miss my peeps back, back at home. And it's important. Yeah. That was one of my biggest lessons is that we, we do need our, our tribe. We can't do it alone. And, and right in this country, we have such a myth about independence. Yeah. Right, babies born, plunk them in their own room in another crib, you know, you know, uh, make them resilient, make them, make them independent. But, but we're really interdependent beings, aren't we? And I, I think this myth that we, we, we need to be able to, to go it alone, I mean, isn't that feeding our epidemic of depression? loneliness, anxiety, and, you know, how clear could it have been during the pandemic, right? But I, I don't know what we've learned since then. Have we, have we increased our community? Have we increased our connection with, with others? I don't know. I hope so. I think, I like to think that it was a wake-up call for lots of people to just stopping what you're doing for a little bit and taking a moment to look around your life and be like, is this really what I want? Do I really want to sit in traffic for three hours every day commuting? Do I really want to 
drop my mom, go see my mom at the care home, drop my kid off at school and then go to work. Like what kind of life is this? Like what the heck am I doing? I, and I think that I'm hopeful that it was a wake up call for people. And mm -hmm. I, it saddens me to see the myth of the, you know, independent individual. I see it for what it is. And it's a, it's an epidemic of obedient workers. It's an epidemic of people being held down by authority. It seems to me and not their own authority, authority that's been conditioned into them. So is that too much? Is that too crazy? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm right. I'm right, there with you. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I mean, that's, the proverbial midlife crisis, right? Is that we're on this, we're on this hamster wheel, pretty young, it starts pretty young in life, you know, well, you've got to get good grades. And this, by the way, this is going on your permanent record, <laughs> yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. And, and then because because you, yeah, because you've got to get into a good college and then because you've got to get a good job. And then of course you're going to get married and you're going to have children. And we're, we're sort of sold this illusion that that is what will bring us happiness. And that, that that's our, our cultural myth. So then people wake up in their, their thirties or forties um, with that nagging voice that they've never listened to because they've, they've, they've been conditioned. And James, James Hollis writes about this a lot, like the, the first task of, of, of life is we're learning how to um, work within these constraints of society. And then the second half of life, we're, we're kind of shedding those masks we've had to take on to survive in this world. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why like the second half of life, if you will, can be so rich and so rewarding because you're, you're kind of finding your way back to that to that acorn self and uh, um a lot of a lot of people who would come on retreat you know when they were retiring um because they just knew and they'd had happy lives you know yeah. happy lives but they just knew that something was missing life didn't have the juice that they knew at some level it should and, and they turned to, to psychedelics because they wanted to kind of get through the, the layers of, of what was repressed so they could um, ascend into perhaps a truer way of being mm. that then they'd been existing in. Um, perhaps they'd lost it during, during college. Um, or even younger than that, in in the case of significant childhood trauma. Yeah, it's I, I'm gonna have to read up on my James Hollis. It's fascinating um, to think about. Like, yeah. yeah, what what role do you think demographics plays? And and let me let me try to streamline that question a little better. It seems to me that there's a large pe large portion of our society that is you know, octogenarians and getting older. And that has to happen when, when, when such a large part of our body, our collective body is moving mm -hmm. on, like that mm -hmm. has to have an effect on all of society. Do you think that that's accurate? Oh, yeah. I think that that's one of the messages um, that we receive with psychedelics, right? That we're right. not just containing our own biography, our, our, our postnatal biography, where we're carrying um, the, the collective unconscious. And we're also carrying intergenerational yeah. information. So absolutely, how can it, how can it not inform us? Look at, look at um, the levels of anxiety that spiked mm 
during the pandemic. Um, and look at how, how children and, and young adults were affected um, so much during that time because they're just soaking up this energy that's kind of free floating. And, and I, we're, we don't give enough credence to, well, what is, what is floating out there? And I know this sounds very, um, you know, woo-woo and airy-fairy, but we are picking up on information from the collective, right? Right. Look, what, look who we were in the aftermath of 9-11. Look who we were as, as, as a nation during the pandemic, globally. Of course, we're soaking all that in. And, and we don't understand it, um, but it's certainly something that, that comes up a lot in, in the psychedelic space. And people, people do this work and, and they say, oh, wow, this is way too big. I know I'm carrying <laughs> um, intergenerational trauma. Right. I'm, I'm carrying um, maybe trauma for all, all of women or the collective. So, so we're, we're, we may think that we are this right ego encapsulated skin, but we're much more connected than we know. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I, I'm hopeful that that is something that more people begin to recognize is that, you know, there's this non-locality about the mind and mm -hmm. it's everywhere and you can, I think it's that on some level, the same way the mycelium grows under the ground. So mm -hmm. too, are we kind of growing together and making these connections and just talking to you? I'm like, wow, this person, Denise is amazing. I love talking to her. And you, know, you can feel these connections when you talk to people. And, and I think everybody can do it. If you have a genuine conversation where you just try to clear your mind of all the filler, or in the conversation, just speak your truth. Like, hey, I noticed I really like that color on you. Or say something that's honest to this other person. And you'll be able to feel that, the exchange between you. People are hungry for it. Yes, they are starving. Yes. yes. And that was one of the, 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 beautiful, the most beautiful aspects of working at a psilocybin retreat. And even without the psychedelic. You get 10 people who were just randomly plunked, seemingly randomly plunked down in this space. And they're strangers, but they're being authentic. They're being vulnerable. And it creates this beautiful web of connection in which they begin to trust. Mm. And... Uh, they don't feel so isolated because people are talking about what is real. Oh, that's funny. My father was an alcoholic too. That's funny. I had a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And so within a few hours, you get this connection, this web between total strangers only because they're being authentic, okay? And, and that's all it is. That's before you add in the psychedelic. So what if we had real conversations? What if we really met people and, and connected at a meaningful lo level? And I think that's why... I loved doing that work is because there wasn't time for BS, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, and that's where, that's where the magic happens when you're meeting, if you will, soul to soul. Yeah, I love that. It's such a beautiful way to, to think about 
I guess what William Blake calls the divine imagination. Like what can be if we're willing to just be honest with ourselves and take a few moments to think about it. Denise, yeah. I, I love talking to you. This is really fun. I can't believe an hour has gone by already. It's just like, Neither. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's amazing. Um, before, before I let you go, Denise, I would love you to come back because it went way too fast. But before I let you go, where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? I'm in New I'm in Central New Jersey. <laughs> Come and find me. Knock on my door. My doorbell doesn't work. Ding ding ding. <laughs> um I have a website, imaginatively named denisru.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Um Where can they find me? I don't know. Uh, yeah, and I and I do want to promote my organization. We don't even yeah. have a website up. Um, there's about 11 of us who came to the first meeting um, because when I came back from Jamaica, and I hadn't lived here for over three years, and I, I just like... I got to find my tribe. So I, I was like, Oh my God. And I came out of the shower and I'm like, Whoa, what am I going to do? And I just went on meetup and I, and I started a group, you know, New Jersey psychedelic therapy association. And, you know, and then, you know, people came and, and we're just in the very early stages, but we do have a couple of speaking speaking engagements lined up and we're meeting with um, a New Jersey representative regarding the psilocybin um, Behavioral Health Access Services Act that was introduced um, about a year ago. So hoping to get that on board um, so, so we're going to get our website up. We're working on that, but certainly if you're in New Jersey, um, please, please find us. If you, if you're a therapist, if you're a professional, or even if you're just a human being who's interested in doing this work, um, yeah, that's where I am. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm hopeful that everybody who listens to this or watches this will go into the show notes and check out uh, the, the links in there for your page. I hope that they do check out the the New Jersey Psychedelic Therapy Association. And uh, I love the idea of language and poetry. And it's such a beautiful combination of, of poetry, hypnosis, and psychedelic therapy. And I want to say thank you for doing it, Denise. There's no doubt in my mind why people say the kind words about you and I'm so thankful for the work you're doing. It's really beautiful. So thank you for that. Thank you, George. Thank you well, for finding me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the pleasure's all mine. Like I said, I, I, I've, you're one of the, you're the only person I know that, ha, that I've talked to, that has those three particular avenues, and it's, it's just such a beautiful combination. It's like Neapolitan ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Add a banana and some. Right. Chopped almonds and we're golden. Some whipped cream. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've been incredibly fortunate in my life to pursue all those things that I loved for sure. And I think you have a an amazing view and an amazing strategy to incorporate to transform. It's almost alchemical to transform tragedy mm. into a form of therapy. You know, and that, that's, that's so beautiful to me. I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Hang on one second. I'm going to talk to you after this, but I'm going to let okay. the, let our audience go for a moment. So okay. ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for spending time with us. Go check out the show notes, check out Denise, take some time to think about poetry, hypnosis and psychedelic therapy and do yourself to say something kind to everyone around you today. Mm -hmm. That's all we got. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, 
I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.